Monkey to like a the podcast project of the Fenebulist by Leopold Lambert. Today, graphic novels and Borgesian labyrinths with Marc Antoine Mathieu. Hello everyone, uh, today my guest is Marc-Antoine Mathieu, who is a French graphic novelist, and uh, we actually did the recording in French, so um, there's a little bit of uh, some editing to be made to propose the, this version in English to you, and uh, I want to thank uh, my friend Lee Duampong to actually read the, read the, the, the English version. Um, But so uh, Marc Antoine and I talked about uh, his uh, his work, uh, the the Borgesian uh, uh, influence and uh, the labyrinths that he's creating, and uh, so we we're gonna start with the first question now. The specificity of your stories uh, uh, can be found in their subversion of graphic novels' uh, uh, form and codes. Uh, you, you're using the, the graphic and narrative elements um, as, a, as a way to create a spatial, temporal, and metaphysical labyrinths that, uh, that we can find all along your books. Uh, but what I mean by labyrinths, and uh, you'll tell me what, if you agree or not, is that I don't, I don't think of them as a classical figure of the labyrinth that... Um, Can, we can think of a, a sort of demurge architect that uh, from above uh, is, is tracing those labyrinths and is, is kind of laughing to see all these small bodies getting lost in the complexity of his lines. Uh, on the, quite on the contrary, I think the labyrinths you create, uh, they, they seem to me in the, in the continuity of another form that uh, I think uh, uh, Franz Kafka invented in his literature, Uh, which is a, a labyrinth where the author uh, is lost within uh, the own labyrinth uh, he or she created. Uh, uh, so if, you, if, we, if we go back to Kafka, uh, his stories obviously involves a lot of labyrinths, but um, the, the medium itself seems to be labyrinthine as well. Uh, if you consider the trial, uh, There is a the trial when Kafka died was a, a sort of disarticulated sum of chapters that uh, his friend Max Brod reconstituted it retrospectively uh, in in a sort of attempt to give them a logical order, uh, but each reader could could basically reconstitute uh, the order of the chapter in a in another logical order, and uh, if we talk about the castle. Uh, the castle it, it ends in the middle of a sentence. So I mean, there is a there is a, a really new paradigm of labyrinth that we can see here, which I think can uh, resonate within your work. So I was wondering how important was this figure of the labyrinth for you? Oh, oui, bah oui, oui, le labyrinthe évidemment, c'est une forme qui me The labyrinth is indeed a form that has been working on me for quite a while. It has been a while indeed since you don't enter the labyrinth just like that. It's a bit like the color or the absolute. There are many things in which we hesitate to enter. We have to think twice first. On y réfléchit à deux fois. Alors, le prochain livre qui va. 
The next book that I'm going to publish in October will be called Labyrinthium, and it will be a fractal labyrinth. It would be a fractal since, for me, the labyrinth is more Borgesian than Kafkaian. I would say that what is Kafkaian is the literature of the absurd, whereas Borges, this is more a poetry of metaphysics. I think that the labyrinth is more a metaphysical figure than an absurd figure. At least in my work, this is true. The labyrinth is always somewhere around. Perhaps it is an illusion, though. I mean that it might not be true labyrinth in the sense of a complete loss of references in something that we built for ourselves. I don't think that this is the labyrinth that I am talking about. The interesting thing with the labyrinth is indeed the experience of losing our references. It means the experience of losing ourselves, the loss of our own reality or so-called reality. This way, it is true that there is an artistic symbol, uh, an art, the artist's symbolic in the labyrinth. Because what is the artist doing if he or she is not trying to lose himself or herself in his or her creation in order to experiment always further? There is a risk of madness in the labyrinth, and this is why we don't enter it immediately. It is a figure of maturity, or on the other hand, a figure of survival. This is Ulysses who is obliged to go through the labyrinth. Either he dies in it, or he survives it. My next story will have for its only setting a labyrinthine route in, which, in the Borgesian sense, which is the desert labyrinth. I suppose when you're talking about the, the desert labyrinth being the Borges labyrinth, I suppose you're referring to the to the short story uh, The Two Kings and the Two Labyrinths uh, uh, from 1939. And um, this story was kind of said to be hiding uh, behind the two kings, uh, James Joyce and, and uh, Borges himself. Uh, uh, James Joyce labyrinths, I mean, literary labyrinths being a, a sort of a, a, comp a sum of complex apparatuses that, that loses... Uh, its reader, whereas Borges, on the contrary, uh, was producing more labyrinths in the form of deserts, uh, and uh, we find a lot of we find a lot of those uh, in your work. So I suppose that's that's what you meant. Voilà, un labyrinthe infini, errance, qui qui s'ignore lui-même. C'est-à-dire, prochain livre que je fais, évidemment, c'est une errance dans un. Yes, it is an infinite erratic labyrinth that ignores its own status. In my next book, there is a character who is lost in the desert, but who does not know that he's in a labyrinth. This awareness is one of the demiurge. The form of the labyrinth is here, but it is not represented. It is a roving that goes to the right, to the left, straight ahead, that gets lost, but there are neither walls nor structures. There is no architecture. Non, le labyrinthe, évidemment, il, il sourde un petit peu toujours dans mes, dans, dans mes histoires. Alors après, bon, il y a, y, a, y a le... 
One can find the labyrinth in most of my stories. There is also the labyrinthine story, the fact that it can be cyclical or in the form of a spiral, since another labyrinth, just as pure as the desert, is the spiral. In a spiral, wherever you are, you are simultaneously in the center and at the periphery. It is almost the symbol of the labyrinth. The most radical form of the labyrinth consists for us to wonder if we are on the wall or between the walls. In a spiral, whether you are on a spire or between two spires, it is the same thing at the end of the day. You are on something that escapes from your understanding. In a certain way, you are trapped. That might be where the labyrinth can join the figure of the absurd in the sense of Albert Camus. And I, I guess when you mean the, the absurd in the sense of Albert Camus, you're talking about the, the Sisyphean absurd. Voilà, exactement. That's it. We can observe some several layers of, of or levels of architecture in your books. Uh, obviously, there's the architecture in, in a relatively traditional sense, uh, as you use it in your story. Uh, and obviously, that's far from being natural. Uh, I mean, as example, we can talk about the, the various city departments, uh, uh, Department of Humor and all these things. You have the station, uh, this gigantic station. Uh, you have the giant computer in dead memory. Um, but there's so the, the, all those are, are relatively traditional way of understanding architecture. But there's also the the architecture of the books page uh, with which you you just uh, always play. I mean. Uh, whether it's through empty frames, anti-frames, the page in the page in the page, uh, etc. And then there's the architecture of the book itself uh, as, a, as an object, the book being an, ob an object that involves both the author and the reader inside the narrative. So I was wondering how you articulate these various levels of architecture together. Alors ça, bon, on pourrait essayer de l'analyser, j'ai envie, envie de laisser cette, cette étude, cette analyse, cette exégèse à des spécialistes. Moi, moi ça m'intéresse pas trop de la faire. En revanche, ce qui m'intéresserait, euh, c'est de développer le fait, effectivement, que je me sens souvent... Beaucoup I prefer to leave this analysis to specialists. Personally, I am not so interested in doing it. That being said, what I would be interested in doing is to elaborate on the fact that I am thinking of myself more as an architect than a storyteller. I feel that I am more a space and time manager than a narrator. I have the feeling that often the narrative, the dialogues, the texts are a bit pretexts set up a space-time of which I am less in control. Comme si je fabriquais des, avec des mots, avec des dialogues, avec une histoire, je fabriquais un squelette. Et ce qui est intéressant, c'est que c'est comme si avec des mots, avec des dialogues, avec une histoire, j'ai construit un squelette. Et ce qui est vraiment intéressant, c'est que tout ce qui se passe autour du squelette que j'ai construit de livre en livre. Chaque fois, j'ai ajouté un peu de flèche au squelette, et ce flèche appartient beaucoup plus to the world of architecture, sometimes even a scientific architecture, than to the world of literature. That is what, we, what um, might make the specificity of my work. Votre question, ouais, peut-être peut 
mesure où euh, bah, euh, voilà, le lien, euh, les déclosions... Your question can be pertinent in the extent that the departuring between some arts can be interesting. When I created Trois Secondes, for example, I did not feel that I was producing a graphic novel at all. I was feeling much more that I was in an architect's shoes, someone that had made a sketch of a bridge and that later had to wonder about engineering problems for six months, wondering how this can hold itself, which pathway I should add to it, which spring to adjust so that it can work and that the whole thing will be quite harmonious. I was wondering much more about structural questions than narrative ones. Structure is a notion of space and time, much more than narrative that calls for concept, like linearity, for example. Linearity is what is appearing. There's a dialogue, it's fluid, it seems quite obvious. In Le Décalage, the dialogues are following one another, they look similar, and we feel to surf on a sort of crest. But actually, what is weaved around is something completely different, something that escapes from me completely. I don't know how to analyze it. This is what is interesting, by the way. What escapes from me at this specific moment, it can only escape from me this way, only in this medium that we call graphic novel. It's a sort of mix between a shaping of time, a shaping of space, convergence lines, a sort of alchemy that not only I am not interested in analyzing, but actually refuse to do so as uh, it is my terrain of adventures and experiments. Well, that's actually perfect because I, I wanted to ask you a questions about a graphic novel as a as a specific medium. So you you seem to have just answered it. Oui, alors justement, la, la spécificité de la bande dessinée, où, là où c'est fort... Où the specificity of graphic novel, where it embraces its value, lies in what it does to the drawing. It creates shape forms, but without designating them completely. Cinema, on the contrary, produces forms, but automatically designates them. In a graphic novel, you can draw shape forms without designating them, by giving them masks. That is what I do in my books, like the City Department of Justice, the City Department of Humor, Whatever Palace, the Station, etc. They are things that I designate, but only partially, 10% or 35%, or that I even de-designate or non-designate. It creates shapes, forms, but they are shapes that the reader will have to complete. The reader is the one who has to designate them completely. There is also space-time. Time is the same thing. We designate a time, but what is it? Would the reading of the book take five minutes? Half an hour? Three hours? The time that is defined by the graphic novel is very blurry and mysterious. We can even go backwards. There is also some text. We think that we dominate it, But if we work on it a bit, we can leave blurs, holes, ellipses, shortcuts. It can go very far. 
Graphic novel is a true terrain of experiments, somewhere in the middle of genres and mediation tools that make of it a real vacant lot where anyone can have fun experimenting as a creator and experimenting the way the reader reads. So the, the graphic novel is also an object and uh, you've been playing uh, with this object numerous times. Uh, uh, if, if I just talk about the covers to, to illustrate that, uh, uh, whether we talk about L'Epaisseur du Miroir that has uh, two covers uh, on each side and two reading directions, or for example, Le Décalage, Uh, where the cover is actually much further within the book, whereas on the cover of the object, uh, uh, the story already started. Uh, th there, are, there are obviously much more similar examples. Uh, so how, how, do you, how do you play with that? Oui, tout à fait. Voilà, on peut même expérimenter la quatrième dimension. Yes, we can play with the fourth dimension, or an analogy of the fourth dimension, when we start to consider that the graphic novel is indeed an object, an image book that I have in my hands as a reader. When I find a spiral that seems to exit the book, a pop-up, color, or a torn page, I am starting to ask myself some questions. Well, it's quite interesting that you're speaking about a fourth dimension because uh, for the reader, the, the book is the third dimension, but for your characters, it is a sort of fourth dimension. It is, it is their third dimension, but they, they, are, they have only two. So w what is our own fourth dimension? Uh, is there a great object, a sort of great book in which we can also be read in one way or another? Ben voilà, c'était l'idée de, de l'origine. Hein. Le premier livre de Julius, c'était de faire naître dans le lecteur. Yes, that's it. It was the idea of l'origine, the first book of Julius to create for the reader a sort of vertigo, an existential story within the story. If these two, di these two dimensional characters were becoming aware that they were living in a world that had actually three dimensions, then we could also try to imagine ourselves that there is a fourth dimension. When we listen to astrophysicists nowadays, that is what they uh, are trying to explain to us. Try to imagine that time is also a dimension, I mean a physical dimension, and you will have a richer and more complete image of the universe in which we live. Einstein is the one who updated all that. He looked under the carpet and he discovered that the three Newtonian dimensions could not explain everything. It remains, however, very hard to imagine. A fourth dimensional world is not something intuitive. The space-time light cone is very, very hard to imagine, even with a lot of imagination. Sometimes we succeed imperfectly to have a glance at what it is, but it's so complicated. What that might be where the artist sometimes can help. Let's go back to l'origine and this analogy of a two-dimensional world that lives on a sphere. In this two-dimensional world, Characters and scientists discover that their world is a gigantic sphere and that if they go in one direction, they will ultimately go back to their starting point. Other characters obviously wonder what this madness is all about, what the sphere means. They are in two dimensions, it is not possible, there is no thickness. They are being told that they have to imagine that there is a third dimension. The scientists are being called crazy, but at the end of the day, 
It is our own situation as well. We are prisoners of a three-dimensional world and of the illusion of the world in which we are embedded. Yet, the fourth dimension exists and we have to deal with it. Uh, if we talk about dead memory in particular, uh, so in it there's a, there's a multitude of walls that grow overnight uh, in a sort of uh, endless city. And these walls are blocking the streets that become this way different spaces. Um, and so in it we, we see that in order to move, we, there, there are some squads of uh, miners and policemen uh, that go through the, the houses' walls. And uh, this has some very poignant uh, historical references that I'm, I'm very interested in. Um, on the one hand, we can talk about Auguste Blanqui and the way he was theorizing how, uh, I mean, theorizing and practice, practicing how uh, the Parisian revolutions of the 19th century should be organized and how uh, the insurgents should move from one building to another through those walls. And on the other hand, um, uh, on the other side, on the other side of the barricade, if I might say, there's the Israeli army uh, that Eyal uh, Weizmann has been describing, uh, going through walls of the Palestinian living rooms uh, in, in the 2002 siege on uh, Nablus as refugee camp in the West Bank. Uh, there's also some more fictitious uh, examples. For example, we can think of uh, Terry Gilliam's uh, Brazil's. Uh, f not the first scene, but one of the one of the first scenes, where a, a character is um, is, uh, is being arrested by policemen who swarm inside his apartment from the ceiling. Um, so, can you maybe tell us about your interpretation of architecture as a material assemblage and is, a is uh, its uh, historical context and political consequences? Oui, oui, tout à fait, oui. Euh, bah, oui, j'ai ce défi historique, mais en même temps, euh, moi, ce qui m'intéresse, dans, dans Mémoire morte, c'est de, c'est simplement de, de, de dresser mes antennes et puis de, et puis de ressortir au mieux des ressentis, des intuitions, euh, des pensées instinctives que je peux avoir sur, sur la cité. La vie, I have indeed euh, an interest for history, but what I am interested in Mémoire morte is to lift my antennas and to express, in the best way possible, feelings, intuitions, instinctive thoughts that I can have about the city, new networks that are being created, etc. I did Mémoire Morte 15 years ago, but from what I have heard, it might have pointed out a few things. Walls that are interacting and emerging in the, within the city are a bit the symbol of a society that would like to declare itself as transparent, open to everything, but that actually closes itself to everything. I formalized it through these walls in a quite radical manner. I would say uh, that it's not the best of my books, since it is a bit rigid, a bit stock, and talkative even. The sociological domain is not the field where I feel the most comfortable. Well, Marc-Antoine, thank you so much for uh, uh, talking with me. And uh, I encourage uh, everybody to look at your, at your books. I know that uh, most of them has not, have not been translated in English, uh, although some of them are in progress of being, being so. Um, but even, uh, I mean, there's, there's, there's a 
there's a certain extent of graspability that one may have while reading your your graphic novel without even understanding the text of it. Uh, just, I mean, I think that was quite the essence of uh, uh, this conversation we just had. So, um, so I invite uh, everyone to to look at them.